podcast has bad words. <laughs> You're listening to the Minimalist Private Podcast. Hello, patrons. What is up? Thank you so much for each and every one of your uh, memberships. It means the world to us. Thank you very, very much. Ryan, today we're going to be talking about the minimalist diet. Now, if you listen to this at home, don't worry. It's not what you think. There's no prescription here. Dude, why haven't we written a book yet called The Minimalist Diet? <laughs> <laughs> you know what's, what's fascinating? We got some questions about diet. We're going to be joined periodically by Ben and Beck. So Ben is one of the most knowledgeable people that I know with respect to diet, fitness, health, exercise, wellness. And of course, Bex is a registered dietitian and nutritionist. Ryan and I are not the experts on this subject. Mm. We've talked to a lot of experts though. Yeah. And in fact, uh, we're going to be talking about some of the experts that we cite in Love People Use Things, our new book. There is a section in there called The Minimalist Diet. But the reason it's not what you think is what? Well, when we talk about minimalism, it's not about buying the right things, getting the right things into your life to become a minimalist. Mm. Purchase these 73 things and you are a minimalist, right? <laughs> yeah. I see this all the time in magazines like the minimalist car and the minimalist uh, shoes, the minimalist t-shirt, whatever. And it's like, oh, you're missing the point. Minimalism is about subtraction. So when it comes to stuff, minimalist starts, minimalism starts with the subtraction. I think the same can be true with diet. A minimalist diet isn't about what you eat. Quite often it can be about what you don't eat, yeah. what you remove from your diet. What is harmful to you and what do you remove? If minimalism is often about removing the stuff, it's also about removing anything that is detrimental to your yeah. life. Especially in Western culture, man. There's mm. like, I just feel like there's so much superfluous foods that get thrust upon us, especially the sugary, flowery variety, which I really like. They're delicious. I really like them. Did I tell you about the the Tam Tam experience in Australia? Tell me about it. So we were we, we had one of our live events, and someone was like, "Have you had a Tam Tam yet?" I do that in an Australian accent, but my it's horrible, and I would offend all Australians. I thought we, that was your Australian. Accent. <laughs> we would lose our entire Australian audience if I tried to do an Australian accent. Anyway, Can I be honest with you? I thought uh, I thought you were Australian this entire time. I know I look Australian because <laughs> <laughs> you're so handsome. That's right. So they. Uh, 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 woman comes up to me have you had tam tams yet and i'm like no what's a tam tam and she's like oh it's this cookie it's an australian thing uh you drink coffee right i'm like yeah i love coffee they're like well what you do is you get a tam tam they're kind of like a chocolate covered wafer type cookie thing but it's not a wafer it's like a chocolate covered cookie i guess uh -huh. and she's like you bite a corner off at each end and then you dip the tam tam in the chocolate or in the coffee and you suck the coffee through the chocolate covered cookie and you get this like amazing sugary coffee type experience. And it's funny how like I don't normally eat those things. I, I love those things. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I know we're supposed to love people and use things, but I love those things. <laughs> <laughs> things like that. And uh, so it was very easy to talk me into trying this experience because I'm like, oh, I'm in Australia. This is my only opportunity to do something like this. So, you know, I start making all the excuses. So I'm at the store and I happen to see like a thing of Tam Tams. And I'm like, oh, I'm gonna get, a, I'm gonna get some, and I'm gonna try it out. And I got those, went and got a cup of coffee, and I did exactly what she had suggested. You, if, you, if you're watching this on the video, you'll notice I have the <clears throat> skeptical hippo eyes right now because I'm, yeah. I'm imagining the it was, chaos. That it was sugary and flowery, and you know, uh, had some coffee, add, add a coffee <laughs> flavor to it. So was it was it good? Yeah, it was good. But it's funny how I've removed that stuff from my diet so much that it was overpowering yeah and i ended up like giving away the rest of the box of tam tams uh after trying just that one was it worth trying it 
I don't know, man. Probably not. Probably not. But, um, you know, this isn't a, a judgment on no. anyone who does this. You're not upset but it's just, that you did it. No, but it's like I'm just speaking to all of these superfluous foods that we don't need, that we shouldn't put in our body, that is presented to us, especially in Western culture. Um, it's it's really easy to make excuses to to put these things in our body. Right. And and convenience is one of the best excuses. So we're going to be talking oh, yeah. a bit about that today. Ooh, yeah. Now, I think it's worth noting. You know, if you watch our last film, Less Is Now, on Netflix, you'll see that Ryan and I were literally the two fattest kids in the fifth grade. I mm-hmm. was the fattest kid. Mm-hmm. Ryan was a distant second. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so, <laughs> I mean... And, and fact, now I'm the fattest minimalist, and you're the second <laughs> fattest minimalist. <laughs> There's a photo in Love People Use Things. Let me see if I can find it. I've got this uh, Lebanon library shirt. It's a library I was later kicked out of. I think I'm still banned from that library. What did, you, did you steal a book? What did you do? No, it may have been my brother having sex in the oh. library, but I can't confirm or deny that rumor. I know actually a couple <laughs> people who, like that was the thing to go to the library and like make out and do whatever yes. you could get away with in the library. As Yeah, that's really funny. That's I crazy. can't find it right now, but there's a, a photo of me. I think I was like, 10, 12 years old, really fat with a mullet. Yeah. And it's on your Instagram. Yeah, there, there are several. But the, the photo in here I saved just for the book. Oh, so I see. Like, it was a sp- yeah, there's just this one photo where it's like, if you really want to see me, um, uh, obese me, like you can see it in Less Is Now for sure. You can see it on my Instagram. It definitely existed. Now, why was I obese? Because not only did I take in the standard American diet. There are plenty of people who have the standard American diet who mm-hmm. aren't obese but are quote-unquote unhealthy, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, but it's because of the overindulgence. You and I, after school, we used to stop by... La Rosa. Yeah. Which before La Rosa's was something else. Or no, it turned into something else. It was else. La Rosa's, then it was uh, uh, Mio's? Mio's, Mio's, yeah. Mio's or something, yeah. And we would go for a snack, get a cheeseburger and cheese fries. Oh my gosh. And then my dad would be like, why aren't you eating your dinner? Oh, my, my mom would be like... Oh, why'd you eat all your dinner? <laughs> Hence why I was the fattest of the two of us, right? This is not fat shaming, by the way. It's no. simply recognizing that being obese was an unhealthy choice. Now, yeah. was it a choice I was even capable of making at age 10? Or I started to become... So my mom started drinking when I was four years old. She was turned 40. I'm turning 40 this month, by the way. And, mm. and so I'm thinking about taking it up drinking, finally. Um <laughs> You'd be like the rest of us cool kids. Let's see if I can break the cycle. I'm thinking about giving it up for 40. That's so funny. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, you can just give it to me. <laughs> right. Uh, well, I, I could tell you that... Uh, and by the way, the way that we, the reason we talk about these things lightly is I don't want to... You, you, in order, In fact, we talk about this and a lot of people use things. In order to address some truths, we need to be able to talk about things with levity. Yeah. Uh, it's the reason that like people like Dave Chappelle or Gerard Carmichael mm. uh, or... Uh, Bill Hicks, uh, George Carlin are the truth tellers of the past couple generations. Yeah. Well, I mean, sometimes when we take things too seriously, yes, it prevents us from having a conversation about it because we're, we are taking it too seriously. Right. And we get outraged against it, but it's hard mm-hmm. to get outraged. I mean, people are doing it. To, it's hard to get outraged against George Carlin. I mean, A, he's dead, but B, like... It, these are jokes, people, right? And so you're allowed to get you're allowed to do whatever you want. You can get outraged if you so choose, but realize you're now outsourcing your contentment, your happiness, your state of mind yeah. to someone else's behavior, right. which is is a surefire way to ensure your discontent. 
Yeah. Short term and long term. Yeah. A- anyway, you and I were significantly overweight mm-hmm. in middle school. And then I lost the weight in a very unhealthy way in high school uh, by not eating, basically. Mm. I wasn't necessarily anorexic. I was eating one very low calorie meal a day. Mm. And I was sick all the time as a result, like colds and strep throat and just, I didn't have the nutrients. I got some calories each day. I lost a ton of weight. There's a part in a lot of people use things where I talk about, there was a kid who came up to me in the bathroom in, uh, I think it was freshman year of high school. So I I started losing the weight in eighth, eighth grade and then lost it in a very unhealthy way toward the end of eighth grade and especially the summer between eighth and ninth. So I came back to school 100 pounds lighter than what I was a year previous. Oh, wow. I started out at 240 pounds at the beginning of eighth grade. Wow. I was 139. Wow. My freshman year. So 101 pounds lighter. I remember, so I moved away my eighth grade year. Right. And then came back. Tallahassee. <laughs> no, right? no, 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 no. Oh no, no, no. It was Mason. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um so yeah, moved away from my eighth grade year. Came back that summer between eighth and ninth grade, and we're we're in our we're in our new house and I hear a knock at the door and I open up the door and there's like this stranger sitting in front of me that's like, Hey Ryan, it's been so long. How you been? I'm like, Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> and you were like and you looked at me all like you're like, It's me, Josh. I'm like, oh, get out of here! I was like, I couldn't, I didn't recognize you because you had lost so much weight, man. Yeah, because there was, we did see each other one time when I was living in Mason, uh, and, and and just you know, an aside. The reason why I couldn't see you is because I wasn't allowed to hang out with people who weren't Jehovah's Witnesses. Worldly so my, people, yeah, worldly people. So my dad would not go out of his way for you and I to hang out. And as eighth graders, you rely on your parents to like, you know, help maintain your friends. But you were, uh, you were driving with your mom in that little like yellow, I forget what car that was. Geo Metro. Geo Metro. I'm, 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 you're on 42 in Mason, Ohio, which is where our house was at the time. And (laughs) I hear, Oh my God, Ryan. Hey, do you remember this? No, not oh at my all. God. And I look over and it's like you who, you know, with a fat Josh, who I recognize, you know, all the time. And then, yeah, I called you afterward and we had, you know, we did talk on the phone a little bit, but anyway, I just remember, yes, seeing you that summer was, it was, you looked unrecognizable. You, and you looked, you did look sick. Like you looked a little ill. Yes, yeah. I was. And, and I'll tell you this, that, I, because I lost it in a quote unquote uh, health uh, unhealthy way, of course I gained the weight back after high school, right? Because mm-hmm. as I started eating just more of the same foods, because I lost the weight, eat, still eating like crap. I was eating processed mm. foods and French fries that are deep fried and safflower oil or whatever, vegetable oil, whatever oh oils are in. And so I was still eating garbage. I wasn't getting the nutrient dense foods, whether it's plants or animals. We'll talk about that today as well. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was getting processed foods. And so as I took on more of it, especially out of convenience, yeah. I got to this point where I just, I, before I realized that by my early twenties, I was about 240 pounds again. Oh wow! Yeah, and I I wore it a little bit better because you know I was I'm six two. Yeah, you grew. Yeah, you got taller. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I've been this tall since eighth grade, so I wasn't like uh, I really thought I was going to be like you know, I think my father was five inches taller than me or something crazy. Oh, wow. But um, I I thought I was going to be much taller. But I think one of the reasons I'm not much taller oh, is wow. because I was so malnourished throughout high school. Oh wow! And 
here's the thing though. I was malnourished before high school as well. Mal meaning bad or mm-hmm. poor or, or, or not up to standard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, gorging on the cheese fries and the chili cheeseburgers and, and all of these things, that's a type of malnourishment as well. Oh my God, I want a chili cheeseburger right now. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the here's the thing. So we just we helped build this uh, nonprofit grocery co-op in West Dayton, and one of the the, the problems it's called Gym City Market. Sean, put a link to that in the show notes if you don't mind. Uh, we thanks to you all and, and Ryan and I contributed quite a bit of our own money to this as well. Uh, helped build this co-op, and the reason we did it is because one of the reasons is I knew growing up one of the things I lacked was a education around what was not let's not even call it healthy food what was food yeah and what was appropriate maybe yeah yeah yeah, but also just really like because that stuff that we eat yeah it's not really food in the traditional sense it's yeah it's synthetic food yeah there's something like with the pillsbury products that are vegan that like that doesn't that seems really weird to me that like you got all these creamy sauces and this and it's all completely vegan mm-hmm. uh, someone once told me that those products are you know a chemical or two chemicals away from being plastic right and, and so so a vegan diet can be uh, there's a healthy version healthier version of that right right sure. there but then you know just like so what I do want to talk to you about today has to do with ideology and and, and sort of because some of these things like there there is you know, tree bark would be vegan, but no vegan, no, no vegan in the right mind would say to eat that, right? Right. And and the opposite is also true with with meats and and, and any vegetables, etc. We're talking about the word you used a moment ago. It's like what's appropriate for you, yeah. and so so it's species appropriate. That's one thing, but also individually appropriate at the genetic level, uh, whatever you, you, the, you, the, the, your gut biome is going to be different from mine, and vi- vice versa, and so. Yeah trying to determine all of these things, it gets really difficult. It's it very complicated. And so we've got some questions we're going to answer today, and then we're going to bring in Ben and Bex to talk about some of the answers with us as well. Ryan, let's start with Sarah's question. Before we do that, if you're watching the video version of this, take a look around. We are in our new studio space. Jordan, maybe you can do the wide shot here, and you can see how cluttered this temp- th- th- I want this isn't a temporary space this is our our new space but yeah. it's a temporary setup yeah how how organized the clutter is though it is very organized clutter ah yes <laughs> it, you know what's funny we did this ask the minimalist session if you're one of our our on patreon uh, if you're one of our true fans or vips we did a behind the scenes look at the studio space you get a look at that or i also did a a before video for everyone who's a patreon supporter where it was just me in this room when it was empty and it was crazy echoey ryan you should have heard it i mean it was like i was in a concert hall it was so <laughs> echoey yeah. now we took some sound panels from our old studio space and they're hanging out with us in here now. They're certainly help helping dampen the sound. Yes. We don't have any above us, though. That's really what would help. Yeah. Now, we have some custom panels being made. Mm-hmm. Mike over at LA Sound Panels is doing a great job for us. Not an ad. We're paying full price. Believe me. <laughs> um, but, it's, it's, but they're custom building these panels just for us, just for our space. And we're working with Beulah, who is our new uh, set designer. She is so talented. You can follow her on Instagram. Put a link to her beautiful, beautiful Instagram page. Uh, she's just at Beulah on Instagram. She's an artist. She is a designer. She also runs a company called Gold Morning where she sells these um, 
secondhand clothes, but mm. she's one of the most fashionable people I've ever met. Yeah, and her it's Instagram like, is beautiful. Right, and, and, and what she does, like she has an eye. She'll come in here and she's like, oh yeah, the red tones in the floor. I'm like, Ryan, that looks like wood to me. Does it look like red to you? Yeah. And she's like, oh, no, no, but then the, the green, uh, there's no green or red. It's wood. What are you talking about? Yeah. But she just has an eye for it. In fact, if you're watching the video version of this, the reason that we have these backdrops behind us, it's like sort of this... For the minimal episodes, it's this wrapping paper. We're going to slowly unwrap the gift that the patrons have gotten for our entire audience, mm. which is the gift of this beautiful new studio space. And so thank you for that. Uh, we'll continue to sort of unveil different things. But Ryan, you, you hit the nail on the head. There's clutter in here. But for many people, it may not feel like clutter because, as you said, it's organized clutter. Mm. And that is one of our biggest problems. When we try to minimize, we're not actually minimizing. Hmm. In fact, I want to do an episode really soon called Minimizers because it's different from decluttering in a way. Yeah. You and I were working on a, a TV show that never saw the light of day. It was called The Minimizers. Yeah. We were, this was 2014. Oh, man. We were working with uh, Tom Cohen from uh, Cash Cab. There's a piece of me that's really happy that that never got picked up. Same. <laughs> well, it sort of got picked up. Someone stole the idea. Yeah. And yeah. they released an, a, a season of it on, I think, a Discovery Channel or something. Yeah, something like that. But because we hold things loosely, it was frustrating when someone stole our exact, literally a 21-day, they didn't call it a packing party because they knew they couldn't be blatant. Right. But it was like a 21-day box up your stuff and declutter experiment. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and you realize like, oh, okay. Well, thankfully, Ryan and I have more than one idea. Yeah. But um, when it comes to minimizing, it's not about organizing the clutter. And unfortunately, as much as someone like Marie Kondo helps people, I think what people, what often gets conveyed to the lay person who just sees a social media post or something mm -hmm. they don't understand the depth because Marie Kondo goes farther than simply organizing your clutter yeah yeah I think she does a good job of giving you kind of a recipe to, to organize and to declutter to minimize things um, but yeah there certainly is a deeper level that I think she can get people to especially with the and I know that you are against emotions, but the emotion that uh, that arise within us yes. uh, when we have things around us. And I think like what I do like about Marie Kondo, because I feel like maybe we bash her sometimes. And I don't want to do that with Marie Kondo. I don't feel like I've ever bashed her. Not I, bashed her, I'll, but... I'll, I'll, I'll definitely hold her accountable <clears throat> if I feel as though it's harmful for people. Yeah, I just know that, you know, I personally, maybe not we have bashed her, but I know I personally have like you know, kind of probably throwing a little judgment out about the, the, the decluttering store, the organizing store, stuff oh, like yeah. that. But, but what she does a great job of is what I'm trying to get at is she kind of helps you get to the emotion that we have with our things, with, with individual things. And that, um, I think that is, you know, one of the things she does to take you deeper than just the organizing piece of it. Yeah. And I think if this, if, if what she does is helpful to you, then so be it. Yeah. Wonderful. Of course. Of course. I, I just want to, to caution against simply organizing the stuff because then you end up in a space like this, which is really organized right now. Mm -hmm. But if we, and we could continue to record in a space just like this and mm -hmm. we'd be fine. We wouldn't be optimal. We wouldn't be thriving. We wouldn't feel great about it. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't allow us to bring our best foot forward. So what are we doing from this? It's really about understanding that this space, before we moved in, was perfectly clutter-free. Yeah. So the, the stuff is not the problem. Mm. We are the problem. And the echo is the problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, think about this. We decluttered the echo. There was no echo in here before we came in here. Ooh. 
and we came in here there was only an echo when we started speaking oh man if i so, record a podcast and no one's around to hear it does it make a sound in the forest <laughs> <laughs> so we got so much to talk about thank you patrons for supporting us uh, take a look at that original video i did you can see the space if you are one of the true fans or the vips by the way uh, a few vip spots just opened up not because we opened up more but there are a few people who at the beginning of the month they, they tend to drop off you know two three four five yeah. people drop off they always fill up so if you're listening to this and you're interested in becoming a vip the cap is 250. It's not going up from there. You'll have an opportunity if if you want. Go in, see if that's available. If not, the true fans, I think there's 100 or 200 of those spots left as well. You can get the video version of the podcast and you can see behind the scenes stuff. Also, the monthly AMA. We just did episode 45, Ask the Minimalist Anything. And in that episode, you see me and Ryan in this space and Jordan did a bunch of filming sort of behind the scenes. You get to see the whole the whole space in its glory if that is something that is appealing to you. Ryan, we have a question here from Sarah. Let's dive in. Cool. I was wondering what you do as a minimalist in terms of food. I like to cook and I was wondering if you plan your meals by the week or by the day. What do you do for restaurants? Is it a spontaneous thing? So Ryan, I plan my meals 365 days in advance. So right now I'm planning for next June. <laughs> You're so ordinal. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> and uh, it's a different meal every day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's so funny. You know, I have friends who meal plan because they're trying to eat healthier. Uh -huh. Trying to lose a little bit of weight. It works great for them. Uh, I... The best way for me to plan my meals is to cut out as much crappy food as possible. Mm. So it's not about what are we going to eat, you know, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for the next week. It's more about like, okay, what types of foods are do I want to put in my body? And what do I not want to put in my body? Right. So we the foods that we are good with putting in our body, Mariah and I, we bring it to the home. Oh. And then the foods we don't want to put into our body, uh -huh. the unhealthy foods... We don't bring them into the home. I, you know, it's so funny, man. I'm the same way. And, and there's, it's, it's, it's like you're fasting in a way, but only from particular foods. Yeah. Because not having access to them, it's the same thing with distractions. The reason the phone isn't the problem, I'm the problem. The reason I have to keep it in my junk drawer yeah. is because otherwise, even when I'm like reading in the morning, I just pull out my book. I, I only read Love People Use Things in the morning. I pull out this book and... Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> Daily reading of love people use things. What, dude, it's crazy because like I think about the foods we have in our house. It's I know that I like beef, chicken, and pork, uh -huh. and I like lettuce, and I like mushrooms, and I like you know a few other little vegetables. Yes, um, cupcakes. Right, yeah, and cupcakes. You like them. Well, what I'm getting at is is it's the it's the foods that I feel good about putting in my body that I like mm. because there are a lot of foods that are good to put in your body, like you know raw liver shooters that aren't the best i mean i will do some raw liver shooters don't mm -hmm. get me wrong uh but but yeah for all intents and purposes i look at what i what i feel comfortable bringing in my body we that's what we bring into the house the foods that i that are tasty that i find delicious last night we did like some hamburgers we mix it with a little pork in there uh we put some cheese on it mushrooms i had like a little bit of salsa like that and avocado like that was it uh -huh. it's freaking awesome oh my god it's so good so if i were to rephrase this question another way and we can talk about the dining out thing and because i think that's important in fact uh, we'll bring ben and, and bex in to talk about some of that as well if i were to rephrase the question in a way i would phrase it like this what is the most minimalist diet mm. and 
I think that's the question that we wrestle with, but also thinking that there's going to be a prescription there with the answer. I don't have that, but I want to read this excerpt. So this is from Love People Use Things. It's page 121. And this section is from the relationship with self chapter. So, of course, for those of you listening to this, you know, the, the book is seven different relationships that we want to heal in our lives. The relationship with stuff, it starts with the stuff as the minimalists. And then it's the relationship with the truth, the relationship with values, relationship with money, relationship with creativity, eventually a relationship with people. But in between there, there's the relationship with yourself, which is quite often one of the most difficult relationships to repair because we've been lying to ourselves. Mm. We've also got, gotten caught up in our own patterns that are hard, very difficult to break. And so in there, we talk about sleep. We talk about exercise. We talk about self-care. We talk about being here, being present in the moment. But then there's also the section of uh, diet. It's called a minimalist diet. It goes a little something like this. Even now in the 21st century, it's hard for experts to agree on what's healthy. One website might recommend a paleo diet, the next a plant-based diet, and another a low-carb diet. After falling down the rabbit hole of contradictory advice, we slam our laptop shut and return to our deep fried Oreos, which are totally vegan, by the way. <laughs> On an episode of the Minimalist Podcast, episode 184, Minimalist Diets, we hosted a discussion. So that's diets, plural, right? Because we hosted a discussion between a vegan athlete, Rich Roll, who eats nothing but plants, a carnivore doctor, Paul Saladino, MD, who eats nothing but animals, that's not a typo, and an omnivore doctor, Thomas Wood, MD, who, like 99% of the world, eats both plants and animals. Although all three experts were shining examples of health, they held radically different views. Instead of playing host to a debate, I was more interested in what these professionals agreed upon. Despite their different approaches, Everyone agreed that processed foods are not ideal for a healthy life, nor is sugar, gluten, chemicals, refined oils, or factory farming. They also agreed that every human being is genetically unique. Therefore, two people might experience completely different results on the same diet. No wonder health is so complicated. What works for you might not work for me? That's exhausting. So, instead of prescribing one-size-fits-all lifestyle, it's best to focus on universal principles. This is the framework for a healthy, minimalist diet. Eat real food. Don't over or undereat. Avoid inflammatory foods. Keep away from refined oils such as canola oil, vegetable oil, soybean oil, safflower oil, corn oils, margarine, and the like, because these oils are refined by using chemicals that are harmful to us. Opt instead for healthy organic alternatives like extra virgin olive oil, avocado oil, coconut oil, and grass-fed butter or tallow. Don't eat foods that make you feel bad. Man, that could be like that, that's the minimalist diet right there. Right. Don't eat foods that make you feel bad. Yeah. The problem is, what does that even mean? Like, so quite often a piece of cake makes you feel great from the gustatory pleasure during mastication. Yeah. But it doesn't make you feel great an hour from now, a day from now, whatever. You, you never look back 
or at least I never look back and say, man, I'm really glad I ate that piece of cake three weeks ago. Mm. I'm never like really joyous about having eaten that cake three weeks ago. Yeah. It's not to say that I shouldn't eat it. I shouldn't enjoy it in the moment, but there's never going to be a time in the future where I'm like, oh man, I wish I would have eaten more cake three weeks ago. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. Uh, three more things here. Focus on the pro problem, not the symptom. Eat organic plants and grass-fed meats. Buy local whenever possible. Results may vary, but a sturdy framework allows us to build the house that best suits our needs and desires. By my mid-20s, after doing my own research, no longer waiting for someone to show up with a pill to fix my problems, I had changed my diet to remove the causes of my obesity. For me, that meant eliminating sugar, bread, and processed foods. It also meant eating many plants, avoiding snacks, consuming only two meals a day, and fasting 16 hours a day. It goes on to talk about the stewardship of the self. And so when we're talking about the minimalist diet, it's what Ryan alluded to earlier. It's what do I cut out? What do I remove? Now, mm. I just gave you a framework there. This isn't my framework, by the way, but I'm interested on what I missed. So let's hear from Ben Greenfield about what I missed and also some different approaches to a minimalist diet. What am I missing here? Wow. Drop your mic. It's on a boom. <laughs> uh, what are you missing? Well, uh, related to the concept of minimalism, I could throw a few other tips in there, perhaps, although that's that's really comprehensive. Like, I think I probably agree with nearly everything in there, aside from the fact I was surprised that everyone who you'd interviewed had thrown in gluten as something that was bad. Mm. Uh, yeah, just just because it, you'll find a lot of plant-based people are like, well, it's it's maybe disrupted your stomach, but it's not like as bad as somebody like, let's say, Paul Saladino would say that it is. And, and I even think that gluten in trace amounts is kind of like a little bit of a hormetic compound for the yes. body not gluten yeah. in modern process right. you know gmo wheat where it's super concentrated but like i'm not gluten free but for me you know that might be a, a slice of lovely fermented sourdough bread where much of the gluten has been you know pre-digested etc um but aside from that super nitpicky point yeah, that was yeah. Really well, and i think that's why it and specifically, I use the word avoid as opposed to eliminate. There are mm -hmm. some foods where it makes sense to eliminate, right? Mm -hmm. where, where yeah. They're not even foods. They mm -hmm. are food products. The deep fried Twinkies. Yeah. They, yeah. Were, <laughs> they were Oreos, but the oh, Twinkies sorry. are okay. That's a, that's yes. a Minnesota. Twinkies thing. have fiber, see. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, what, what would I throw in? First of all, from a, from a minimalist standpoint, um, and, and related to the question that our dear listener asked, and I've forgotten her name. It was her name's Sarah. Sarah. Uh, first of all, I eat nearly the same thing every day for breakfast, for lunches, and for any beverages or snacks down to McDonald's, nearly, right? down, no, no, Three it's not, it's not McDonald's. <laughs> and, and I'm not saying that everyone's same meals per day need to be the same as everyone else's, but I, down to almost the near exact time that I eat each day and the meal that I eat each day until about 7 p.m. Mm -hmm. when we eventually sit down to our wonderful, glorious family dinner where we're experimenting with all sorts of new foods or we maybe have a, whatever, a, a giant loin of, of beef in the freezer and we want to try out some, some new recipe with it. And so every night is like fun and varied and, you know, it's always some kind of meat 
meat, some kind of yeah. vegetable, some kind of starch. But uh, yeah, every single day, you know, it's typically for me a smoothie for breakfast and some kind of a salad with some healthy fats, almost like a Mediterranean style salad for lunch. And typically, you know, a giant mason glass of water full of wonderful things like vitamin C and baking soda in the morning and another one kind of in the afternoon. Uh, cup of coffee at some point in there in between waking and breakfast and it's so I have very little decision making fatigue when it comes to my meals and I'm happy as a clam like just doing that same thing every day so that would be the first thing is just minimalist in terms of the variety Mm. of meals that you eat on a similar vein I stay relatively minimalist with my preparation techniques of choice Meaning that if you know how to really use a few cool tools in the kitchen, you're kind of set for life. And you don't have to beat yourself up about not having an infrared fryer and a pressure cooker and the slow crock pot and the food dehydrator and the two different varieties of food processors. So for me, um, I generally cook with a sous vide wand, very small sous vide wand water bath, meaning you put the water or you put the food in in a bag, you put it in the water, you set it to temperature, you walk away, you come back and whatever you, you know, take a piece of salmon, throw some dill, some salt, some pepper, maybe some thyme or rosemary in there, put it in the bag, walk away, come back, have dinner. Right. So, so I use, yeah, Yeah. I use the sous vide. I use uh, a grill, Mm -hmm. right. That's right on my back. And I have one of the electronic grills. Uh, this this podcast is not sponsored by anyone, so so I won't say the name of the grill, but it, but it smokes. It'll tie to my phone to where I can just, uh, same thing, adjust the temperature and walk away. So I like these kind of minimalist cooking techniques. And the last one is a pressure cooker. Same thing. Put the food in, walk away, you know, fall off the bone ribs that melt in your mouth that would normally take four hours on a grill. I can do it in a pressure cooker in 30 minutes. And so I'm pretty minimalist with my cooking techniques. It's usually sous vide, pressure cooker, or grill. Um, and then a, a couple of other tips I would say, cause she, cause she asked about the restaurants, um, before the restaurants, the other thing I would say is from a minimalist standpoint, if you're trying to minimize calories, which might actually fall into, into a, a minimizing point of view for a lot of people, mm-hmm. I try to choose a lot of foods that fill me up, but that aren't very calorie dense. So these would be things like, um, uh, there, there's this, uh, this type of, uh, Japanese noodle called content. It's like a gel like noodle that kind of expands in your stomach. It tastes like you're eating pasta. They make the angel hair variety and the pasta variety. I, I use this, this, uh, brand called miracle noodle It's zero calories, zero carbs, but it's like, I can have pasta or I can serve my lunchtime salad up on top of this stuff. And it fills me up. Another one that I, and I'll, I'll give you three that I go through quite a bit, like staples for me. Cause again, mm-hmm. I eat the same thing and you know, you open them up my refrigerator. These are always in there. Um, the next one is sea moss gel same thing it's incredibly filling it's somewhat nutrient dense a very low in calories and that's something that rather than say putting a bunch of extra coconut milk in a smoothie right to thicken it up and give it that creamy texture which would be 250 extra calories i'll use a couple scoops of sea moss gel which gives me the same thickening effect with none of the calories and then the last one that I like is I love pumpkin puree. I buy like organic pumpkin puree from Amazon, like the stuff you'd use to make pumpkin pie. But I will just like put a big old spoonful of that on a plate and sprinkle that with a little salt, maybe a small drizzle of honey, a little bit of cinnamon. And it's almost like I have like this edible pumpkin pie, yeah. like oh, baby food mash that I can eat while I'm having lunch. And so I'm kind of a minimalist when it comes to trying to choose staple ingredients that are actually relatively low in calories but have a satiating effect. 
effect of, yeah. a, of a higher calorie compound. Not quite as good as a deep fried Oreo, but you know, the <laughs> deep fried Oreo went out of the sea mouse gel. And then the, the question regarding restaurants. Um, so yes, we do plan restaurant outings. I actually plan typically two months in advance for all restaurant outings and all dinner parties because I know how quickly evenings fill up and I know how quickly reservations fill up. So typically on the calendar is once each month a date with my wife, once each month a date with each of my boys who are 13 and who are a little bit different when you take them out individually than when when they're with mom and the other brother. You know, it's it's great conversations when you're with a child one-on-one. So I would challenge any parent out there, if you're not yet dating your children one-on-one, do it. And then, in addition to like the, Woody yeah, the, <laughs> the <laughs> do it. the monthly date with my <laughs> wife, uh, the monthly dates with each of my boys, uh, we then schedule two dinner parties each month in which we have people over to our house. And this would be a wide variety of people from the local community, people I've been wanting to get to know but haven't yet met, people who are old family friends, sometimes family members, sometimes employees, uh, sometimes literally um, people who... Uh, you know, the last party, you know, this guy walked off the street like this homeless kid into my boy's jujitsu gym and got a job there. He wound up coming up with his jujitsu coach, you know, so we got a, you know, some, you know, Spokane exec on one side and this, you know, homeless kid from the jujitsu gym on the other side. And wow. we just throw these dinner parties where we bring people together. Mm-hmm. And I, I provide all the meat and everyone usually just brings a side. Um, and then ever so occasionally, if I'm feeling really lazy, I will move that dinner party out to a local restaurant. You know, if we just know we're, we we don't want to clean up the next morning, but sure. but that that's kind of how I how I do the restaurant thing. So yeah, I actually plan it in advance, and I know what I'm going to do at restaurants and and when and who's going. Well, next up, Ryan, we got a question from Facebook. Now, I put out a call for questions on Facebook for this episode, mm. and. I learned that, man, we are so dogmatic. A, a, a entire fight ensued in the comments between listeners. Really? And what I realized is this has to do with ideology. It has to do with people trying to shame or change or control other people. It has to do with the ego and rectitude, right? It has mm-hmm. to do with uh, righteousness, self-righteousness, right? So who won the fight? jason statham (laughs) of course he did well yeah i mean when we hold anything too dear this is what happens yeah and and this is you're right and so what i did i'm basically just i i even said like hey you know experts can't agree the paleo diet keto whatever and so what we're going to do is bring on some experts to talk about the you know ben and Bax. we're going to bring on some experts Mm -hmm. to talk about the minimalist diet and foods to eliminate from our diet and then i got this question here that was really a statement retrofitted with a question mark so is 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 beth is is she the one who started this fight yeah she participated in it well i mean i don't know if she started saying her comments last question i think maybe this this did light the 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 fuse for other people to to get involved yes and so what i want to do instead of fighting with anyone I don't even want to disagree with you. I want to look into what the truth is behind all of this. Okay. Cool. Let's hear it. So Beth says, actually. <laughs> hey, do you know where a mansplainer gets his water? What? Where? <laughs> well, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so Beth says, actually, according to science. This is- <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I'm sorry, Beth. If you're listening to this, oh, I'm not mean to laugh at you. It's just there's just so many cliche things in the first couple. It's a meme. Yeah, it is a meme. It's like it's like when someone says, 
uh, as a person of God and science, and then they just state something as fact. It's like, right. it, yeah, anyway, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Keep going. Uh, and so uh, what I do want to do is have compassion here for, for Beth, because yes. uh, this is something I think we've all gone through at some point in time, where what we're trying to do is understand the way the world works, understand the truth behind the world, yes. but also uh, when we get really excited about something, or, or ideological about yeah, something. Yeah, we want to share it. We want to... And unfortunately, we often want to proselytize it yeah, as well. Okay. And I think that's where we lose. So right. I will stop laughing at this because it's, it's inappropriate, I think. Actually, according to science, isn't a vegan diet the healthiest for the human species? In a way, eating plant-based is minimalist because we cut out the complications of animal exploitation, abuse, and slaughter, as well as cutting out harm to our health and harm to the planet. So... That isn't really a question here. Uh, I mean, it is, but it is more of a, a statement of, yeah. of, of fact. And, and so, this is someone who obviously cares about two things, uh, the planet and the living beings on this planet. Yes. And that I can totally see in Beth's comment. For sure. Yeah. And, and, and so what I want to do is step back and say, well, what is the truth? Humans evolved eating both plants and animals. Anyone yes. who tells you otherwise is not telling you the truth. Right. And now, am I saying you shouldn't be a vegan? No, of course not. Mm. Their rich role is a paragon of health. Now, you might talk to someone like Paul Saladino. He'd say, well, maybe he'd even be healthier if he ate animals. I don't know about that. Maybe he'd be less healthy. Yeah. And, and so the truth is we as humans have evolved for millions of years about three million years of evolution our guts our teeth everything about the human body shows that we are omnivores yes a and potentially even what someone might call a facultative carnivore which means that yep. our primary nutrient sources from meat i feel yeah i feel like i have to say there's always going to be an exception somewhere Right? Okay. There's going to be a tribe that eats only plants. There isn't, though. That's the thing. There's going to be a tribe that eats only meat. Th that's true. There, yeah. there, even there, like, so let, let's, let's look at our pre-civilized neighbors over in, say, Tanzania, the Hadza, for mm. example. Okay. They eat both plants and animals, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, plants for them happen to, to be what they feast upon when there, are, there is not access to animal nutrients. So there are seasons where tribes would be vegan because they didn't they don't have access to yeah, the meat. yeah. If, if they don't have access so less of a season more of a yeah circumstance yes <laughs> yeah exactly and and so we we see that there there is no history of vegan tribes anywhere in the world now I, that that might sound controversial to some of you let's just be clear 99% of the people listening to this eat both plants and animals. 100% of the people listening to this have eaten plants and animals in their life. This is not dogma, and I don't care what you eat. I don't want to force you to ask you to eat anything different from what you're eating right now. Yeah. I simply want to put the truth on the table. Yeah, there's no judgment. No, not at all. Yeah. If, if you're a vegan and that works great for you, awesome. so be it. And tell Wonderful. us about it. Yeah. I want to hear about it. For sure. And... and and the opposite is also true. There are so many people who can fix their health by simply just cutting out the things that are harmful. All the things we outlined in Love People Use Things, it wasn't about you should eat this. It's more proscription than it is prescription. Right. And, and so, Beth, I, I just want to understand a few things. Uh, I want to understand that as humans, we've evolved this way. And however, that doesn't mean that if there isn't a alternative that is 
a better alternative, I'm not open to it as well. I mm. see someone like Rich Roll, and I'm like, oh yeah, he seems makes me want to be healthy. vegan. Every time I talk to Rich Roll, it makes me want to go back to being. Every vegan. time we hang out with him, yeah, yeah. Every time I talk to Paul Saladino, it makes me want to go straight carnivore. <laughs> right, <laughs> but even Paul Saladino eats some plants. So I, he's a fake carnivore. Ooh, we're calling him out. Yeah, and and so <laughs> here's the thing: human beings eat plants and animals, um, and 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 so the question then becomes. Well, she says, isn't a minimalist, a plant-based diet the most minimalist because we cut out the complications of animal exploitation, abuse, and slaughter, as well as cutting out harm to our health. Mm. And, and so here, here, sometimes that, that will be the argument that meat is unhealthy. Well, it is and it isn't. Yeah. You eat processed meats, that's unhealthy. Yeah. Processed foods in general tend to be unhealthy. Yeah. And so factory uh, farmed, meat that is pumped full of hormones there's un no question that is less healthy than grass-fed grass-finished sustainably raised regenerative agriculture that is actually good for the planet and we'll have been uh, talk about that in a little bit i think uh the the regenerative farming aspect of it which is actually the best thing for the yeah. planet and so what we struggle with is it is and it isn't yeah, are, are plants yeah. healthy for you? It is and it isn't. Is meat unhealthy for you? It is and it isn't. It depends on the circumstance. And by the way, it's also highly individual. I, I can't eat a lot of fiber because of this terrible autoimmune disease I have that destroys me. Anytime I eat you know, even a sweet potato, I'm like out for the afternoon right, wow. or the rest of the day. Yeah. Now, that is, I, I am a, an outlier. And so because it doesn't work for me doesn't mean that it wouldn't work for you, Ryan. Mm. And, and I want to be clear about that because there is a human species. And so there is what is appropriate overall for humans. But then within there, there is a narrow subset of things that may or may not work for you, depending on your gut health, on your microbiome, your virome as well, which is the the viruses in your gut. You have tens of thousands oh, of yeah. viruses in your gut as well that, yeah. that don't feed. They, they're not living. But they help break down things. Uh, I, I don't know that the virome does, but oh, yeah. uh, they, they react to things. They feed, they feed colloquially, they feed off of things, right? Gotcha. Um, and so, yes, these are all considerations. And so quite often it's about subtracting, eliminating, so you can figure out what works for you. I mean, you, I know with Mariah, and I don't know how much you want to go into this, but we're on Patreon here. She's done elimination diets in the past, and you've yeah. tried some of those with her. Yeah. Now, hers ha haven't been about like, losing weight or anything like that. She's right. she, 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 That's not what she needs, but she needs to understand certain things about her body, what her body to tolerates. And some people have right. issues with FODMAP foods, for example. Mm. Tomatoes and eggplants might really trigger you. Yeah. For you, or for Rich Roll or for Podcast Sean, they might be the most nourishing things for you. Yeah. And so it's understanding that. And yes, I do agree. Here's where I agree with, with Beth. We do want to minimize animal, animal exploitation. Certainly animal abuse. We want to eliminate, not just minimize, eliminate animal abuse. Yeah. Eliminate animal exploitation. Yeah. And, and we also want to eliminate what? All the animals that are killed through all the crops, you know, I know that the part of the vegan ethos, which I respect is to do as little as harm as I think the, the word they use is practicable. Yeah. Right. And, but there are a lot of deers and mice and insects that are killed through regular farming as yeah, well. Tilling the land. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and that's unfortunate. And so 
what how do we bring regenerative agriculture into that sphere as well as into the animal sphere because humans will continue to eat meat and the question for at least for the foreseeable future right and yes there are things on the horizon with uh, um, lab-grown meat etc which is rather questionable we had tommy dr tommy wood on the podcast and 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 just the amount of of energy that goes into that and, and also is it's synthetic so we know that synthetic things aren't natural yeah what is in our nature as human beings it's our nature to eat food mm. and that that's plants and animals for human beings but not all plants and not all animals you and i aren't eating komodo dragons and we're not eating tree bark that's an animal and a plant mm. and so the question is what is appropriate for me and you now uh, before we talk a bit more with ben and bex i saw this tweet from our friend max lugavere mm. who he has a great podcast called The Genius Life. He wrote a book called Genius Foods. Yeah. And he is a genius himself. He's been on our podcast before. Yeah. And he has this tweet. Would you like to read it for me, Ryan? Sure. Max Lugavir says, don't undermine your biology with someone else's ideology. Mm. Like we're all looking for the recipe. We're looking for the the, the instructions, the how-to. Yes. Um, and... Yeah, this is great. Uh, he goes on to say, if your health guru has made an identity out of their diet, chances are they are full of shit. <laughs> mm. So, oh, I, wow. I, you know, I think in, you can extend that way beyond food. Yeah, right. right anytime you've created this identity that is associated with an ideology, you become rigid. You hold mm. it tightly. And anything that goes against that, yeah. you know, it's funny. I was talking now you're beholden to the ideology. Exactly. Yeah. And I like to say that minimalism is sort of the one ism that is free of ideology. Although you can pick up an ideology and, and attach it there. Sure. Right. Yeah. Now I was talking to Erwin McManus the other day and uh, he is weird flex, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we were walking around Larchmont together and <laughs> drinking coffee. That's the flex That's part the flex that I was part. leaving out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we were walking around talking and he, he, um, man, he, he, he said, you know, there's this thing about minimalism. He goes, I'd like to talk to you about this. He goes, I think if the world was run by minimalists, I don't think we'd ever build a city like Paris. <laughs> and I said, wow, you might be right. And I think you'd build Salt Lake City, which to me is the most beautiful city that I've ever been to. Yeah. And, and in the most intentional city as well. Mm. And, and and the question, and also the most sort of economically feasible city in North America. So, and by the way, they built it in the middle of a desert in a place that you can, can't build a city. Yeah. At a crazy high altitude where you shouldn't be able to do any of these things. Yeah. But it takes really dedicated, intentional planning to do it. Mm -hmm. And so we talked about that. And he made me, question like yeah you know what you're, you're probably right i don't think minimalists would build paris yeah i mean i yeah you've been to paris right i have i've and, not and uh i don't know man what if, what if hypotheticals didn't exist <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's 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 a hypothetical i personally could see minimalists building paris it's it's, okay. a, it's a beautiful work of art um i mean just you know the eiffel tower alone sure is this beautiful monument yes and I could absolutely see minimalists, but I, I think I think where Irwin is coming from, though, when he says minimalist, because that's really where we got to start with this with this idea. Uh -huh. What is a minimalist? Yes. 
So we're Ir- what Irwin is thinking of as a minimalist is utilitarian. Living, yeah, living in poverty, living with nothing, stark white walls. He goes very because he's been on the podcast before, and he will. Mm-hmm. And it's not for any other reason than to just have a conversation. But yeah. he's always kind of like throwing this idea out that like if the world was full of minimalists, it'd be a really bad world. Well, it's not that it'd be bad. It's that because he's an extreme minimalist. That's the thing. Yes. So I th- we, we were supposed to meet at his church. Yeah. But they were closed that day. He's like, I don't even have a key to, cause like, I don't want to carry a key. I don't have yeah. a key to my own business. Yeah. So by his definition, uh-huh. he's probably right. Yes. If everyone was just worried about stark white walls, having as little things as possible, living in poverty, eating as little food as possible, having as little architecture as possible, having just a little of everything as possible. Yes. That's certainly a world I wouldn't want to live in. I don't want to live that lifestyle, let alone in a world like that. So in a way, what he's really saying is if the world was a lot like him, everyone in the world was like him, you may not build a Paris because he's, he is... Uh, he's rather utilitarian to a certain extent, and then he adds a layer of, of aesthetic beauty on top of it. I mean, mm-hmm. you look at their YouTube channel, it's some of the most beautiful stuff that's out there. And uh, just the way they film and the way they shoot. They, they under, he, one of my favorite lines, actually my favorite line from Less Is Now, didn't make the film. It just wouldn't fit. Oh, yeah. It was from Irwin. Mm. He said, you know, I, I hope that people don't confuse minimalism with utilitarianism mm. because beauty is essential yeah and i think that's where you and i agree like we aren't just strict utilitarians although i'm more utilitarian than most people Mm. but i don't think that anyone should live like me sure and i think i think that's where we get caught up with any sort of ideology so minimalism isn't about i live this way and you should too yeah it's interesting because beth's idea of minimalism i actually really appreciate it she didn't come out and say this but I imagine that Beth feels like minimalism is a lifestyle that it is a compassionate lifestyle mm-hmm. that someone lives to prevent harming or prevent uh, suffering of the planet, of anim- anything living on the planet. Yes. I love that definition of minimalism, mm-hmm. of, of Beth's uh, definition. So, yeah, I, I think... When it comes to a conversation like yours and Irwin's, mm-hmm. you first have to start with, well, when we say minimalism, what are we talking about? I mean, we had yes. we had a, that amazing um, screening of our first documentary in uh, in Missoula, Montana. Uh-huh. Like we, the Wilma was filled. I cannot believe in our hometown, like we were able to, well our home-ish town. Yeah. <laughs> we were able to fill that entire theater. It was our adopted hometown but there at the time. Was, there was a gal who came up to me and she was like, she came up to me and I was just expecting she wanted to hug her. So I'm like, oh, hey, like, you know, like, yeah, bring it in. You know, I'm a hugger. Yeah. And she like gave me this really like rigid hug and she, and then she came back. She's like, what you just showed right there is not minimalism. And I was like, oh, okay. Like what, what, what is minimalism to you? And then she started to give me a definition of, um, pretty much poverty basically. Uh. And I was like, oh, well, you know, that's something that, I mean, we can have a conversation about poverty, but you're right. We didn't represent living with nothing and poverty up on that screen. You're absolutely right about that. So right. Right. We, we, we represented a lifestyle that is applicable to people living in poverty and people who aren't living in poverty. Right. Any, anywhere on the socioeconomic ladder. Now, I think mm-hmm. we did a better job and less is now sort of showing the poverty side of things because we used our own experience. Yeah. You know, and, and poverty in more ways than one, not just financial poverty, but in your 20s when you were making good money, Ryan, yeah. you had a sort of spiritual poverty. Oh my gosh, man. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, yeah. Poverty is something that we don't take lightly for sure. Mm -hmm. But also like we also understand that just because like when we were kids being poor, our families living off of government assistance. Yeah. We understand that in that situation, we still weren't minimalists. Right, 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 exactly. And, and, and then, of course, we like to say now that money doesn't buy happiness, but I've changed my mind on that recently. Money does buy you happiness, and that's <laughs> the problem. It buys you this burst of happiness, and mm. then we mistake that for contentment, yeah. peace, tranquility, joy, equanimity, love. Money buys you pleasure. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and which we confuse with happiness. Right, right. Yeah, yeah and so it, it, that goes back to the word thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. Kapil Gupta says uh, the, the words are one of the worst ways to communicate because uh, he said words are like usernames. All the good ones are already taken. <laughs> and, oh, I gave, got chills when I heard him say that because uh, it's, it's true. Like if you want to get on, you know, whatever, uh, Twitter or whatever, and, and say your name is Ryan Nicodemus, not yours but someone else well they're screwed that they, ryan nicodemus is already taken now they have to do at ryan underscore nicodemus or whatever mm. and and so the point being with words as well like i say happiness might mean one thing sean says happiness he might mean something completely different mm. so money buys one form of happiness that a lot of people have agreed is happiness but it is what you and i recognize as pleasure which is both, by the way, both happiness and pleasure are fleeting, mm-hmm. uh, whereas contentment is, is a, more of the ultimate, the yeah. longer term. Uh, I, f- I feel like I have to throw in there, too, like money does buy necessities, right? It buys comfort. Yeah. Well, I mean, it buys like health insurance. It buys healthy foods. Yes. Buys shelter. Yes. Electricity, heat. So, I mean, like I don't want to undermine the power money does have for someone who doesn't have it. Absolutely. I just don't want to sound apathetic here, but yeah, I mean, but, and we talk about that in our first film minimalism about how up to a certain amount, it does buy those necessities. Right. But then after that certain amount, which I'm sure has changed since that film has come out. And it changes by city too. Right. Absolutely. Way different Dayton versus uh, uh, Los Angeles. Yeah. So there's like a, you know, there's a graph of like how much money you make, uh, or should say how much money you make versus how, you know, I want to say happy, but it's not happy how comfortable you are, I guess, maybe, or how healthy you are. Yeah. And like, you know, there is a specific curve, but then what happens is that at a certain amount, it starts to flatten out a lot. It doesn't yeah. buy that much more right. happiness or, or comfort or whatever. Yeah. And, and I would even go a Health. bit a bit farther than that. It's In fact, in our in that first film, it's the thing I actually disagree with the most hmm. is that, that graph. I understand where it's coming from, and I think it's statistically and scientifically valid. Sure. But of course, you and I can provide countless examples of people who earn way less than that $70,000 oh, right. number yes. who are content, joyous, and, and yeah. people who make more money than them who are truly miserable. Yeah. And, and in fact, if you just throw money at the problem, you, it's like throwing heroin at the problem. Yeah, I mean, you're solving the money problem with that. Yeah, but money solves your money problems. Right, exactly. Well, yeah, I mean, just thinking about being in Laos and, you know, when we built that elementary school. Yeah. And the, you know, the poverty that was in that city. Dirt floors. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, but they were they were some of the happiest people I've ever met. Yeah. They were way below that poverty line that way we, below we it, talk yeah. about in the film yeah. and, and they were joyous. Now when it comes to ideology, I know Ben Greenfield has some thoughts for us. So let's listen to him. 
if you create your identity so strongly taking a certain nutritional position versus being a little bit more freewheeling in your recommendations or open to biochemical individuality, I think you do set yourself up for being that person who's like kind of like stuck with the same diet because that's, you know, unless you decide you are actually going to be that person who says, Hey, I made a mistake. I changed my mind. I learned of new science or I, I have approached this from a different standpoint. Right. Right. Well, I think we like what you were saying about, I made a mistake, right? Like, <laughs> I don't recall her name, Beth. Beth. Um, but you know, like you you adopt a certain more dogmatic view on nutrition, right? And what inevitably happens is your body changes, right? Your your microbiome changes, your um, environmental stressors change, your health, just general health status changes, and then all of a sudden it doesn't work so well. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily that the the dogma didn't work it's that on a long enough timeline like you were saying we all shift and morph oh, and, yeah. it's, and evolve it's, it's like and, it's like working out right, right and you paint yourself into a corner and then you're you're kind of screwed because you have to either admit that the dogma didn't work or that it's not in fact the best you know yeah whatever dogma you pick right and then um it it creates that dissonance of like gosh I either have to stick with this and my health is going to suffer or I have to acknowledge that like, not that I made a mistake, but that it was just an incorrect assumption that this way of eating was the right way of eating in perpetuity. Right. right? It might have worked for you for a season mm-hmm. and it might have worked for you great for a season or even a decade or two decades. Mm-hmm. But at some point, your body is going to change and the set of things that worked for you is not necessarily going to work for you. Right. If, if you if you were uh, uh, if you're 280 pounds and 33 percent body fat, I guarantee that going for a morning jog every day is is just going to melt fat off your body. And maybe you reach that target weight of, I don't know, 190. Well, that same morning jogging routine that allowed you to get from whatever, 260 down to 190, all of a sudden might not work as well. Maybe you have to start doing high intensity cardio or weight training or or cold baths or whatever else to start to move the dial again. And it's the same way, you know, you, you really just elucidated it pretty elegantly. You know, this idea that don't, you shouldn't get married to a specific diet because what's working now for you might not be the same thing that works or that you have a desire for in the future. And this is also why I think it's important for nutrition professionals to be incredibly open-minded and humble and able to say when they're wrong. Like uh, there, there are so many times when I've just looked over the comment section of a post I've written where I've retracted something that I've said in the past and I'm tempted for my heart to sink because everybody's like, well, we can't trust you anymore. Looks like whatever you said 10 years ago, you've realized isn't, you know, like I used to be the guy, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. You, you get that. And so it's a little bit difficult. You know, I used to be the guy who'd arrive at my personal training studio to train clients all day with my yogurt, my banana, and my little glass container of blueberries. And then the two energy bars and the two protein shakes and like on the <laughs> clock every one and a half hours, I got to keep my metabolism elevated. Right. So I'll burn more fat. So, and that then eventually, well. yeah, then eventually I, I write the blog post that there's really very little evidence that eating anything more than two times per day significantly has any type of thermic effect of food on your metabolism or sparks weight loss. And furthermore, eating two meals a day is not going to turn you into what a lot of people call a sumo wrestler because it's a sumo wrestler diet, right? Big meal in the morning, big meal in the evening. Uh, but that's simply not the case. And, yeah. you know, when I come out and say that, oh, hey, I was wrong and here's what the evidence actually says. I'm sorry or this is this is my new stance based on what I've learned. Um 
it is like I will admit it is difficult because a lot because all of a sudden you're like people aren't gonna trust me anymore and I'm I'm flip flopping I'm flaking and right. and yeah it can be hard yeah yeah well one of the things that I've noticed um, is that and one of the challenges that I've run into as a dietitian in coaching people on nutrition is like so many of us are looking for the prescriptive answer on what is the best diet what is the ideal way of eating and unfortunately what gets marketed generally speaking although you're a perfect example of not doing this which i really appreciate is like you know here is the the perfect diet here's the plant-based diet here's the carnivore diet here's the keto diet right and we we paint ourselves into these boxes because they're marketable and they're they're quick fixes and they purport you know they they try to sell us on this is the solution Mm -hmm. and it's bullshit Mm -hmm. and all of it is and you ask the right questions Mm -hmm. in terms of what is the best diet what is the right solution but you have to append to that for me for me right for me and and that's and and that's what's important and and the cool thing is and i think we even may have briefly discussed this on a previous episode we live in an era where via gut testing and uh, you know urinary hormone testing and blood testing and micronutrient testing and a genetic test and perhaps a, a really good food allergy panel you can determine with extreme laser-like precision what type of diet is going to be most appropriate for your biology, especially when you pair that with, you know, your activity levels, your your exercise goals, et cetera. And so it's not like this stuff is rocket science to figure out. And I think really one of the next frontiers in human nutrition and exercise programming will be the use of AI and automation Mm -hmm. to take all that data that currently a nutritionist or an RD or a physician is sitting down with and interpreting and instead create matrices that allow you to say, okay, this person has, you know, family history of cardiovascular disease, maybe familial hypercholesteremia. They have a food allergy to coconut oil and, uh, and green beans. Mm -hmm. They want to do an Ironman triathlon in December and they, uh, they, they uh, perhaps um, are low in vitamin D and magnesium. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, here's your exercise program. Mm-hmm. Here's your nutrition program. Here's your supplementation program. Currently, I spend 10 to 15 hours a week doing that for people, right? And I've had multiple calls with like investors and, and, and you know, AI and automation people who have asked me like what would be necessary. And I always explain it to them, but, but I have yet to see manifest a really good AI and automation platform that can hopefully put me out of a job or at least free me up to do other other things. Yeah. 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 What's nice about this is you can look at something and realize that it both is and isn't. When someone says meat is unhealthy, yeah, it is and it isn't. Depends on what kind of meat you're talking about. You're talking about some mm-hmm. factory farm processed mm-hmm. meat that's burnt to a char. Yeah, that's pretty unhealthy for you, right? Mm-hmm. But if you have some grass-fed sustainably raised beef from a, f- a local farm, then no, it's not unhealthy right. for you. And, and you also contextualize it, right? Mm-hmm. So so yes, the source of the meat matters. What is consumed with the meat matters, right? You could have your grass-fed, grass-finished, you know, ribeye, but then, you know, as soon as you finish that and you, you know, you feel pretty good about yourself, maybe you had a little Maybe some kale salad and and, uh, and some some roast squash along with it, and then you you know go in the freezer, 
half hour later and dig out your your Briar's ice cream and have a <laughs> giant scoop of ice cream with a whole bunch of high fructose corn syrup infused chocolate sauce. And then you've taken a meal that's healthy and created, well, in in that case, uh, something that produces a bunch of what are called lipopolysaccharides in the gut. You know, a high combination of high carbs, especially sugar, with high fat and moderate amounts of protein in a hypercaloric scenario can create some real gut damage mm-hmm. and inflammation. And so, yeah, it, it not only depends where it came from, but what it is consumed along with. So don't fool yourself into thinking you can have that salad with the salmon on top, and that's going to free you up to be able to, you know, to cheat later on on dessert. I mean, if you're, if you're going to eat healthy, eat healthy. And the fact is there's some wonderful coconut ice creams and avocado ice creams and banana-based ice creams. Like, there, there are ways around this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, so I like to say that minimalism is the one ism that is free of dogma. It's which is sort of a paradox, right? Because ism just sort of means the ideal uh, ideology of, and, and so when I think about whether it's carnivorism or veganism or whatever, you can be those things. Like our friend Rich Roll is a phenomenal example of a vegan who doesn't who does not proselytize a dogma onto other people. He lives a life and he's really healthy, but he also is not not saying, well, I think this is the one way to live and it's applicable to everyone. And if you're not doing this, then you are wrong. No, he, he's not saying that at all. He's saying simply, this is what works for me. It works well for me. It aligns with my values, my beliefs. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And if you have differing values or beliefs, don't share those same values or beliefs, that's okay as well. Right. Yeah. And neither, neither does Rich tell everyone that they need to go swim 2.4 miles, bike 112 miles, and run 24.6 miles and do that five days in a row in Hawaii. Right. <laughs> because yeah. he did. Right. 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 But it worked for him. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think just to reiterate what you said in response to the first question, and I think this is the foundation with taking the minimalism approach with respect to diet. It's finding the foods that work for you right now that make you feel optimal and healthy and just put them on repeat. All right, Josh, I want you to say hypopolysaccharides three times fast. <laughs> is that what he said? <laughs> I knew that he'd stole your thunder because that was the topic you were about to address. <laughs> yes. I was looking at your notes and it just says hypopolysaccharides on it. <laughs> now, um, we did mention regenerative agriculture as well. So let's see what Ben and Bex have to say about that. Regardless of whether you choose a omnivorous, a carnivorous, or a plant-based diet, life is going to die at some point along that chain. In the case of a plant-based diet, we would be talking about field mice and insects and rodents and all of the kind of like underground, close to the ground living things that will inevitably, via, you know, cropping and and agriculture and and sowing and harvesting and, and reaping be killed or destroyed. That, that's simply a reality of life. And furthermore, one other thing you may want to consider when it comes to the environment is that uh, on, a, on a mass scale, regenerative, uh, regenerative farms, regeneratively raised animals actually have a lower carbon footprint than would be produced via subsisting on a plant-based diet. And there, there's plenty of evidence to show that. I realize that the lion's share of the animals that are, I should say, the, the cow's share of the animals that are that are raised and grown for food in the U.S. are in no way regeneratively raised. And there's a huge problem with the way that animals are raised, are abused, are treated, are fed. Like, there, there's enormous problems, but that doesn't mean that there's not a solution that would produce a low-carbon footprint, good care for the animals, supply us with ample food, and... Um, so yeah, that, that's that's my take on on the whole plant based thing, you know. In brief, that's great. It, it seems to me that 
Um, it does work for some people, and it works really well for some people, and it doesn't work at all for other people. Just, yeah, and I always hear the yeah, but you're doing it wrong or, or, or whatever. But there are a lot of people who have tried a, a plant-based diet, and it just doesn't. Oh yeah, work that, for that, that. that can be genetics. That can be the status of the gut. If someone has an inflammatory condition in their gut, you know, we talked about gluten and complete avoidance of, of glutens and lectins and phytic acids and raw roughage from fiber, etc., would dictate that someone actually would need to probably be doing a little bit of bone broth, a little bit of meat, uh, maybe. maybe Maybe some organ meats, maybe something that's a little bit of a carnivorous-esque or a paleo-esque elimination diet, perhaps for six or 12 months until their gut heals, after which time they might be able to reintroduce some of those problematic plant foods that at one point aggravated their gut, right? Or perhaps someone from a genetic standpoint is an under-methylator or an over-methylator, which would dictate that in the case of an under-methylator, they might need more methionine, the amino acid that's largely available in animal-based foods, whereas someone who has ample methionine, you know, from a genetic standpoint or ample conversion of other compounds that would allow for them to have ample methionine, they're going to do a lot better relying upon plants. And so, you know, there's all of those components and there's just the time component, right? It, you could eat a fully plant-based diet and have it be pretty healthy if you're willing to deactivate a lot of the natural built-in plants defense mechanisms by fermenting and soaking and sprouting and preparation. And a lot of people just want to, whatever, dump their bag of quinoa from Costco into the pot and cook it up and not worry about what they might do in South America, which would be to soak it and then to rinse it and give it another soak and rinse and get all that soap-like irritants called saponins off of the quinoa so it could then be digestible to consume the next day. Well, that adds several extra steps that many people are not willing to take. And I would say if you're not willing to take those steps, don't eat quinoa. Right. My main takeaway there is don't eat quinoa. (laughs) Yeah, man. Oh, it gives me gas. Yeah. Actually, I can't eat it. It destroys my my gut personally. The most simple advice when it comes to diet is like eat what makes you feel good. And it's it's simple, but it's not easy. Not what pleases you. Yeah. But like feel good. Like what do you feel viscerally? And so so I think maybe the, the key takeaway here is. There isn't a prescription. There are, we, we outlined some sort of proscriptions that might be helpful, but even those aren't in the sense where you have to do this, right? An intentional diet is the most minimalist diet. Yeah. That's really what we're talking about here. And what, it just like the possessions in my home are, might be different for me, we might share some commonalities. Most of us might share a couch or we have a, a dining room table or a blender or whatever you have in your home. Mm. But some people don't have those things and that's okay. I'm not gonna judge you. I'm not going to shame you. I'm not gonna tell you you should do something. Anytime I say that you should do something, it places me on a pedestal. And, and, it, and it, there's this ugly hu- hubris that the ego has where it's like, ah, Ryan, I have it figured out. It's the carnivore diet. It's the keto diet. It's the paleo diet. Everyone, you must fast for 18 hours a day. This mm. is what you should do. Mm. It's like, well, really? I should? Mm. Or, oh, that works for you. Okay, maybe it would work for me. Yeah. But maybe it's not the most appropriate thing for me. Yeah. Maybe it's not the most intentional thing for me. So if you're a vegan and it's working for you, wonderful. If you are paleo and it's working for you, wonderful. If you've tried keto and you've lost weight and you feel good on that, then it's working for you, wonderful. No judgment from me. 
understanding that much of the food that we have available to us today isn't food, which actually brings us to the lightning round. Yeah. Of course, you can text your questions, 937-202-4654. We're doing the lightning round, even though this is a maximal episode. We're, we're sort of treating it like a minimal. Mm. And uh, during the lightning round, Ryan and I do our best to answer questions with a short, shareable, less than 140-character response. And if you're on our text message list, by the way, you can just text us whatever you want. You can text us questions. You can text us emojis of the thing you got rid of most recently. Every Monday, we send you a Monday morning minimal maxim. And uh, we also recently, if you were on that list and you're somewhere near LA, you found out we we're getting ready to film something new. And so if we're going to film something new, we do some little uh, things uh, locally here. One of the best ways to be... Um, in the know, so to speak, is to be on our text list. So you can just text us. We'll never send you spam or junk or anything like that. 937-202-4654. We'll even respond to some people directly. We respond to quite a few people. Now, Frank has a question here, Ryan. He says, what are 10 foods you'd eliminate from the standard American diet? Now, I asked uh, Ben and Bex about this, and I think I got three from Ben. We'll hear his in a moment. But is there one thing for you that just stands out where you're like, man, I know that this isn't even really a food. Yeah. Like if I had a pithy answer, it would be avoid processed foods for a prolonged life. Ooh, that's good. That is solid. Well, I'll give you something pithy here, and then we'll just hear from uh, from Ben. Most food isn't food. Now, I have that f first food in quotes, so most, quote, food <laughs> mm -hmm. isn't food. And I, if I were to append that, I would just say, so the best diet is a food-based diet. <laughs> now, that could be plant-based. It could be, as Paul Saladino calls it, animal-based, which mm. sounds hilarious. Yeah. Um, it could be, you know, paleo, whatever. It's food-based. What did our ancestors eat? What did pre-civilized people eat? What do hunter and gather tra tribes eat today? Yeah. They eat food, real food. Mm. And so I think that's what we want to keep in mind, that most food that we see, think, things that are in packages generally aren't food mm. and it's, so it's crazy how uh man convenient what did we say makes for really bad healthy convenience convenience uh-huh um pleasure yes uh what else convenience pleasure i'm trying to think of something but, but like when i think about foods to avoid it's not like cut out these 10 foods but it's like if you're eating strictly out of convenience you might want to question the food you're putting in your body right yeah if you're eating for pleasure you might want to question the food that you're putting in your body. Food is not entertainment. Right. Um, it is sustenance. Mm -hmm. And sustenance can bring us joy. Right. 100%. It's not the point, though. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's hear what Ben and Bex have to say. What are three foods that, that really stand out to you that you would, you would eliminate from a standard American diet? I mean, any, any of these sort of processed oils seems to be the first red flag to me right and we've even been lied to we've been told about heart healthy canola oil mm -hmm. can you talk a bit about that um you are correct that i would say at the top of the totem pole vegetable oils far more than sugar or fructose or high fructose corn syrup or anything are more problematic simply because they have a longer residence time in mm -hmm. the bloodstream and in the human body as a whole uh, many of those relatively fragile fatty acids are used for things like cell membranes or find themselves you know in, into the the what's called the cardiolipin layer of the mitochondrial membrane and thus dictate that 
when you eat them, that's what your body is kind of comprised of for, uh, for months afterwards in some cases. Like you are what you eat to a very certain extent. And you really can't say the same thing for sugar, right? Like if you came up to me at the fair and offered me a stick of cotton candy or a corn dog, I would take the cotton candy 10 times out of 10 because I could go walk around the fair or maybe drop and do some push-ups and burn off all that kind of excess glucose, mm-hmm. whereas the the rancid processed or oxidized vegetable oils that are likely in that corn dog would be something that are going to stick with me for a long time regardless of how I exercise and, and create uh, a significant amount of, of inflammation. Mm-hmm. And so, so, yes, plant oils would be something to largely avoid, although there are some that I would say would be acceptable, like, uh, of course, extra virgin olive oil and avocado oil and some of these more heat-stable ones. You could argue that a cold expeller pressed canola oil that was not subjected to as much temperature or heat or additives for extraction during the process of, of uh, and, and pressure during the process of extracting it would be healthier than, than a regular processed canola oil, although it still is really high in polyunsaturated fats and omega-6 fatty acids that would dictate it. it'd still be something you'd want to limit mm-hmm. quite a bit. You know, the same thing for like a, f- a nice flaxseed oil or, you know, or a pumpkin seed butter. But yeah, the whole idea of like, you know, peanut butter, canola oil, sunflower oil, safflower oil, soybean oil, th- those are, are largely problematic. But and, they're in and so, everything. And, and everyone listening to this yeah. has probably had it, uh, some sort of processed vegetable oil within the last 24 hours. Absolutely. It, they're difficult to avoid, particularly when we're talking about eating at restaurants and the sauces and dressings that are often used at restaurants. They are difficult to avoid if you do the lion's share of your shopping at, say, Trader Joe's or Costco, who now will never be sponsors of this podcast. But that's okay because <laughs> you don't take good. sponsors <laughs> because it's so easy to buy all your food in packages and containers yeah. for the most part. And in many cases, uh, packaged or processed food is like you know, hundreds of percentage points more likely to contain oils or other additives or preservatives that you wouldn't necessarily want in your diet. And furthermore, most packaged and processed foods are designed to be highly palatable. And so you're just going to eat more of them. Whereas people who say shop on the outside of the grocery store, hit the produce section, you know, maybe hit, hit some of the eggs and some of the fresh dairy on the outside, you know, grab some of the grains that are often in the bulk section, maybe some nuts and seeds and go out that way with very little labels and, and, you know, and, and codes and, and, um, and ingredients in boxes and bags in their grocery shopping cart, they're going to be a lot more healthy long-term simply because they're eating less palatable foods, fewer calories, fewer oils, fewer preservatives, fewer additives, etc. So I would say, you know, anything with vegetable oils, you know, back to the top three, anything packaged or processed as much as a pain in the ass that sounds it's, it's doable. Yeah. Um, we do. And yeah. Yeah. And, I mean. and then, um, Really, probably the the last thing would be, um, you know, I'm going to go with my gut on this, but I would say alcohol. And I don't say alcohol because I think it's bad. There's there's actually some really decent evidence to show that around one to two drinks per day for women and around two to three drinks per day for men actually reduces all-cause risk of mortality. Mm. But you mm. need to contextualize that with the idea that a lot of that data is taken from areas where a drink would be like a glass of nice organic biodynamic wine or some mm. bitters with some fresh you know gin or perhaps some, some nice you know barrel whiskey on the side and not high fructose corn syrup infused margarita mixes mm. and Red Bull with 
vodka right. and the California cabs that have like 72 plus different pesticides and herbicides oh. in them. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that the problem with alcohol is that and also the fact that for many people who live in a more hypercaloric westernized environment, that that's simply extra calories on top of calories. And we know that fructose in particular, which mm-hmm. is high in many alcoholic drinks, is what once the liver is full of its glycogen levels will spill over into the bloodstream and create triglycerides, contribute to non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and create a host of metabolic issues that for someone who's like working all day on the farm and having a light dinner and a nice glass of organic wine or two is not gonna have to deal with versus the person who ate all day, sat at their office all day, went to the steakhouse, had a cocktail, had a glass of wine, had maybe a post-dinner you know, shot of port. You know, that, that's an entirely different scenario. So I would say, Vegetable oils, packaged foods, and alcohol would be the top three to cut. Bex, do you have anything to add to that? God, I love that list. Well, let me say this. Uh, most food isn't food. Uh, so if I were to sum up this episode with a pithy little answer there, th- that's it. Most food, in quotes, isn't food. Ergo, it seems like the most minimalist diet is a food-based diet. Because right now, most of us aren't eating a food-based diet. And that is not a judgment. We're eating a food-like diet. Uh, with all the packaging, the artificial colors. Yeah, in fact, with the cotton candy example you used, the thing I'd be more worried about is like, is it blue right, cotton how, candy? How did get that to be purple? Yeah, yeah right? Yeah. yeah. And so like, how, how did you Pretty do that? Pretty sure it wasn't purple cabbage dye. <laughs> no, no. And so we, we have all of these things that we're putting into our body. And of course, we're paying the price for it. We are sicker than ever before. So if you're a vegan and you're eating a whole foods, plant-based diet, you're eating real foods, you're making a more intentional decision than what is being thrown at you by society. If you're paleo and you're eating an intentional diet there, you're making a more informed decision than what's being thrown at you by your culture. And and so whenever we're thinking about this, what we're really thinking about is what do I need to eliminate? And then what do I incorporate in my life that is actual food? What is, what is of my nature? What did humans, what, what, what have we been eating for thousands and thousands of years? And it's food. That's the answer. Mm-hmm. And most of us aren't eating food. We're turning to packaged food substitutes. We're turning to calories with very little nutrition. Ryan, I thought we would wrap up here with food cravings because really, I think ultimately when we're talking about diet and we're talking about food, we naturally get a craving. Yeah. It's one of the things we talked to Luke Burgess a few weeks ago. Like there are the, the sort of natural needs, the the most visceral desires. It's it's food, sleep, and sex. Mm. And and so yes, we need food. And so we have a biological craving for food. Yes. And especially things that give us what? Calories. Yeah. Man, it's interesting. It it reminds me of like this uh, I don't know, philosophy or question that I'll ask myself when I have a craving. Uh-huh. Um, if I'm craving something unhealthy, yes, I will, I don't know, a cookie, let's say. I'm like standing in line, there's a cookie sitting there, you know, in the blue bottle case and they make it look so good. Yes. I'm like, oh man, I really want that cookie. And then I'll think to myself like, well, if I'm hungry right now, like how does like a, how does just a hamburger patty sound? Oh. Or how does like a piece of chicken sound? Yeah. And if I, and if it doesn't spark hunger within me, uh-huh. then I can like very clearly recognize that I have a very, I have an unhealthy impulse right now that I probably shouldn't act on. And it's been created by someone else because you didn't have the impulse for the cookie before you walked into that blue bottle. Absolutely, yeah. Now, 
you might get to almost none of us. I don't know how long as you fasted, but you, you and I have done some like extended fast. I, I know I've done, I did six days once, which is the longest that. Yeah, I did a nine day juice fast wow. with our friend Stan. That was years and years ago. That's the longest fast I've ever done. Okay. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I felt really good, but I was still drinking juice, yeah, you which is straight calories. sugar pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Right. Now, and, and we, we crave these calories. And so there there gets to a point where at the sixth day in particular, I was trying to do 10 days and it it got to the point where I was so ravenous that like mm. I couldn't sleep. And so like, mm. your body's like, hey, the, the body's Eat. finally, hey, you got to get up and go find some food. Right. Hunt something, pull something out of the ground. Do, you, we need carrots or lettuce or buffalo or something mm. or we're going to die. Yeah. And so we need to figure this out, right? And so your body tells you most of the time we get a little hungry, a little hangry, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's not real hunger. Mm. Uh, but even before we get there, quite often we get those cravings that are manufactured yeah. by advertisers. Yeah. You know, I mean, my God, I hear, I listen to some podcasts and I'm like, how do you, Bill Simmons, who has a sports podcast, he does like basketball episodes and I, I often enjoy his commentary but my god bill he's doing commercial for like roundup weed killer so just disgusting chemicals that you're putting in your you're breathing in cancer causing chemicals mm. he's doing uh ads for budweiser or cores or michelope any of this nonsense and like yeah. poison he's doing ads for poison hmm and this is why you know people say, well, why are ads so bad? Well, because people are advertising poison. <laughs> That's why it's so bad. You're, you're trying to convince me to put poison in my body. But so are these other places. They're trying to convince you. Why? Because of commerce. They, they want to sell you some sort of thing. Now, the cookie is not the worst thing in the world. And at, uh, the, the poison is actually in the dosage then, right? So mm. one cookie is not poisonous to you, but eating a box of cookies every day certainly is, yeah. right? Yeah. And so ultimately it is about us to sort of stave off those cravings. Let's hear what Ben and Bex have to say about cravings. That's important too, to bring that up just briefly is this idea that food is often used for fulfillment. Mm -hmm. It is not used mm -hmm. for nourishment or because we are actually hungry. And in the same way that you see people searching for fulfillment or, or escaping pain will turn to everything from marijuana to opiates to over-exercising to pornography to any other potential vice or virtue when used in excess, which can be become a vice. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in many cases, those people are doing so because they're trying to pour into their body something that fulfills them and makes them happy when in fact they have an abyss in their soul yeah. that can really only be satisfied by true spiritual enlightenment. And I think that that's a big, big part of the equation here too, is people just don't feed their soul with spiritual food, with the spiritual disciplines, with the things that, you know, that, that really are ultimately lasting, not in the sense that one can become a yogi breatharian, but in the sense that you'll often find that when you are truly happy and fulfilled on the inside, many of your cravings for those problematic vices, including foods, tend to dissipate.
We're often confusing satisfaction with fulfillment mm -hmm. because you can be satisfied in the moment. I can gorge on an extra large pepperoni pizza and it satisfies me, not nutritionally, but it gives me a feeling of pleasure. And we mm -hmm. mistake that for you know, the greater forms of well-being. There's sort of a well-being continuum, right? And what you're talking about is fulfillment. You know, I think that's a good point to end on here, Ryan. Quite often we are introducing something that's quote unhealthy into our lives it's because of that that lacking and we've talked about the lacking before and whether we try to fill it with stuff for me my first vice was food when my mom started drinking when i was four a few years later when her drinking really got out of control i was seven years old my weight doubled from the first grade to second grade i went from 45 pounds to 90 pounds it's great when my parents got divorced i don't I don't know what I weighed at the time, but I know I doubled in size. Yeah. And it was, uh, yeah, food is a very easy thing to... Control. Yeah, and to use to kind of cope with those negative feelings. Yes. And yeah. so I think one of the things to, to realize is that we, we as minimalists, we take back control by not trying to control everything. Mm -hmm. Now, the easier way to have control is to not to introduce a bunch of things you need to control you need to organize you need to arrange you need to straighten you, you need to fix you need to clean you need to recharge all of these things with the stuff but then also the things outside of the things the the the, the spiritual fulfillment that that ben talks about but but also the food and i feel like i have control of my diet now because i never feel like i'm controlling it Mm. I'm eating foods that are nourishing to me. Now, I have a really limited diet because of this autoimmune disease I have. It's, it's basically some carbohydrates like potatoes. I can, do, I can do Japanese sweet potatoes. I can't do regular sweet potatoes even. I can do white rice and I can do various proteins mm. and uh, organic, grass-fed, all of those things. And, and, and so it's a rather limited diet, but it's not... It's not limited because I'm, I'm being obsessive about it. It's identifying what works for me and repeating it. We, mm -hmm. we talked about that uh, a little bit e earlier, but putting the things that work on repeat. I think minimalism quite often does that for us. It allows us to make the decision. If we're talking about the stuff, you make the decision about that couch so you don't have to worry about buying a couch every year. You make the decision about your outfit that you wear every day, Ryan. Mm -hmm this black t-shirt and no pants. Uh, <laughs> if you're watching this on video, you'll be startled. <laughs> well, I, Bex and I missed an opportunity. We, um, uh, you know, cause with, uh, the minimalists, we do this, um, we do these like quickie episodes on Friday, right? It's just these little snippets from the maximal for our, for, um, the, the general audience, you know, three, five minutes, something like that. So people can get a little sample of what, is going on on patreon but and we call those quickie episodes right mm. and and i realized bex and i were going to we 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 should because she does this this um public episode which she calls public episodes and then she has a private episode on patreon which is a longer form episode mm. i realized we should have called them circumcised episodes and uncircumcised episodes <laughs> Well, I assure you, Josh, there are a lot more opportunities we've missed. Yeah. <laughs> There's always missed opportunities. So here we are. Um, I don't know where you are with your diet. I know you're, you, you may be questioning some things. If you listen this far into this episode, 
there are there are some takeaways here. Uh, the takeaways are don't let someone else's ideology dictate your understanding, right? Yeah. If that's a, maybe a pithy answer for you there. I don't want to prescribe that to you. I'm just saying having an understanding that if something is steeped in ideology, it is it has removed us from the truth. There, now, there may be truth inside that ideology. Sure. We find that all the time with major world religions. You look at Buddha and you're like, oh, wow, yeah, of course there's some wisdom, some understanding in that. But then all the Buddhist writings about the Four Noble Truths and what, how many Buddhas are walking around right now after reading the Four Noble Truths? Right. None. Hmm. There's none of them. And, and so the same is true with Jesus. You're following the life of Jesus. Like, Okay, but are you follow if you follow the writings, the prescriptions, how many Jesuses are walking on water these days, right? right. You, you, you may miss the point if you start to fall deep into an ideology. Mm. But there may be some wisdom within many of these traditions, whether it is a Paleolithic tradition, it is a vegan tradition, or it's questioning what foods we bring into our diet the processed foods, the seed oils, all of these things, eliminating that which does not serve us. That is a minimalist diet. Preach. I want to say thanks to Ben Greenfield. Check out his podcast. It's called the Ben Greenfield Fitness Podcast. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Mm. Also, Bex and I do a podcast. It's called How to Love. You can find that at howtolove.show. Listen for free over there. All right, y'all. Love people. Use things. We'll see you soon. See ya. The minimalists. <laughs>